We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. From what I understand, a deal here could have happened. It was possible. It was realistic. Stephen Ross just needed to meet with Deshaun Watson and, and get a better feeling for what kind of person he was. And this is something we, we heard similar to the Carolina Panthers. I know they and owner David Tepper wanted to meet with Deshaun Watson before doing a deal as well. Well, the Houston Texans did eventually grant permission for Stephen Ross to meet with Deshaun Watson personally, one-on-one, but it just came last night. And just given the situation, from what I'm told, Deshaun uh, not settling his legal situation also played into this as well as far as him not being traded. It was just too complicated, not enough time, too many factors that could not be nailed down and firm and finalized. So after all of this, after months and months of discussion, Sean Watson will not be traded by the Houston Texans probably until the offseason. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was NFL Network's Ian Rappaport talking about the trade deadline and the Deshaun Watson saga. Anticlimactic. Jesus. Nothing happened. To quote Bill Burr, oh, Jesus. Just, it's stupid. But, and yet nothing happened. And yet there's still an impact. Something that I can't wait to talk to tonight's guest. Just... I love that we have a slew of guests that we just get to bring into this disaster of a podcast every single week. Yeah, 
They know their shit about the teams that they cover, and also they're smarter than you. <laughs> Doesn't take much, does it? No. <laughs> Looking around the division at the standings, the Buffalo Bills are still on top, 5-2. and two. Uh, They are what, Dodd? Uh, I mean, I look at them atop the division. The Bills have completed a successful sweep of the 2021 Miami Dolphins and have a record of 5-2 and two for the fourth year of Sean McDermott's five-year career. Think about that for a sec, Chris. Four years, Sean McDermott has been 5-2 and two at some point. It's like, what? Yeah. Five years. Four of them you've been 5-2? and two? It's pretty good. That's how we, stark of a contrast. We haven't seen that since uh, Marv Levy. That, that's it. And it's our third year in a row with Josh Allen at the helm of the offense. I think it underscores that we might be the most, what, what the most balanced, the most well-built team in this division, the most well-coached, just the best team. Yeah. New England, they're nipping their heels, four and four. Continues surprising people, pulling off a road up, uh, pull, pulling off an, an upset against the previously AFC West leading Chargers. The win leaves them one game out of a tie for the AFC East top spot. Then there's the New York Jets. The Jets might have posted the most shocking result of anyone in the NFL this weekend, upsetting the Bengals 34-31 in a contest where the quarterback position, like. In a league where that's the most talked about, right now they're being talked about for all the right reasons instead of all of the wrong reasons, which which is where they spent most of their season. And then there's the Miami Dolphins. (laughs) This slow descent into hell that has been the Dolphins' 2021 season. It just continued as the Dolphins lost its seventh straight football game, cementing their place in the basement of the division, Despite scoring more points than the New York Jets team that they currently trail to in the standings over the course of 2021. That's got to be frustrating, right? Oh, yeah. You have a better offense, and yet you're not. I thought your coach was a defensive guy. I thought that your team had faith in this quarterback you took in the top 10 of the draft. I thought, I guess we all thought a lot of things about the Miami Dolphins. It's the Patriot way. And that's kind of where we start, because I thought that the Miami Dolphins are going to be trading their quarterback. To join us to talk about all of this, as he, I should say graciously so, Mr. Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry. How are you feeling this afternoon, Elf? Um, relieved a little bit. <laughs> so, I guess, uh, yeah, I would say relieved. That we didn't go and do something galactically stupid on the um, on trade deadline day. Also relieved that they apparently turned down offers for Xavier Howard and Devontae Parker. So we're still in the business of keeping good players around here, even though you know most of them are on IR all the time. <laughs> Chris, so it was a, it was a good day. It was a here in Miami, I, I guess you can say. Can, can you tell the sar? Can, can you hear the sarcasm? I can. I, I just this is what I love about Elf. So before we get to the the biggest piece of this conversation we're going to have today together, I'm, I I have to ask about the game. I just have two quick questions. Uh, first, 
Does it bother you being below the Jets? I know you're pretty inflappable when it comes to the highs and lows of an NFL football season. I mean, you're a professional. This is this is, an, and you're a long time, long suffering fan. This is nothing new. But when you see that your team is still trailing the New York Jets in the standings in a year that was supposed to be your year, doesn't it sting just a little? Yeah, but we have two games coming up against them, and so you want to talk about real expectations. I guess that's when the real expect start. They lose one of the two to the Jets. Yeah, it's it's almost an automatic firing for for Brian Flores. Like he is actually required to sweep the Jets. And our Mike pe- White or no Mike White or Joe Flacco or Richard Todd, <laughs> Kenny O'Brien, I don't care who plays quarterback, they are expected to beat them twice. Oh, see, and, and there's some fans, because again, I, I'm like a vulture for Dolphins Twitter this year. I can't get enough of it. Uh, there's some in the fan base who almost might want to see those losses if it did mean the firing of your coach. Now, after what we saw, and I mean, we broke it down in our recap of the game earlier this week, you've got to admit that some of these mistakes, I mean, between the offensive staff, the defensive staff, all of these things, there's a lot of unforgivable coaching mistakes taking place. Can you, would you agree that there's a case to be made that maybe losing one of these games or both of them to the Jets, if it meant a changing on that front, might not be the worst thing for your franchise long term? Oh, I agree with you. It wouldn't be the worst thing. It's just been, it's been one awful thing after the other, one mistake after another, and... And then they're compounded because after the game, you know, well, you guys watched the game. Uh, it seemed like it took Brian three years, although you tend to give him up for that first year, right? You know, because we weren't really trying to win. We, we completely dismantled the entire squad. But it took him the better part of three years to figure out a plan to handle and handles, you know, it's for lack of a better word, Josh Allen. And it seems like he had some success this year. Like he draw, he drew up two game plans that seem work to keep the Buffalo Bills offense somewhat in check for two games, and allow you an opportunity to win the game. And then after the game, you know, first of all, he didn't show up for his press conference for an hour, but he gets up there. I guess one of the the beat guys before getting into all the Deshaun Watson questions, which I'm gonna make. 40, 50 questions about the Watson and none about him. I guess one guy wanted to tell him, you know, you know, to give him some type of compliment on his defense. And then Brian Flores volunteers, oh, I didn't call any of the plays. Josh Boyer did, which was probably the worst thing that he could have done <laughs> because because now you often fans thinking, you know what, is maybe not be it might, it might be the worst thing to just. Can this guy keep Josh Boyer as a defensive coordinator and hire a new head coach? So yeah, so that's, even, that's not even good. when he wins, he doesn't win. That that's not good. Well, for the sake of Schadenfreude, I, we're over here enjoying all the theater. But on, in terms of theater, I mean, it was the intro to today's show. Ian Rappaport talking about the breakdown of the trade deadline day. And just how things on this Deshaun Watson front, which it seems like, Chris, when, how long would you dare to reason this Deshaun Watson to Miami conversation has been going on? Like how many weeks? I mean, months? Probably since during 
Since the off season, last okay. off season. So, so I'm not crazy. This really has gone on for the better part of the last at least two, three, four months. Yes. This conversation, conversation Long, about longer. longer. February. It started in February. So, the first stories got written in February. So this has been a culmination of, let's call it seven months of just ridiculous conversation about the fact that Deshaun Watson was going to be traded to, first of all, he was going to get traded point blank and period, regardless of the ridiculous accusations against him that you would think might preclude one from playing in the NFL. Never mind that. Let's put that aside. And just look at the fact that this storyline of the, him going to Miami has been the only thing that's been talked about for the better part of the last few months. And it only got worse. You know, it was one of those things where you thought, okay, the season started, we can talk about football, real tangible football. The Dolphins go out, they win week one. That conversation, it doesn't dissipate. And then they lose week two, and Tua goes out. And it seems like that was just throwing gas on a fire because then things really started to escalate. That's when you started to hear all the rumors of, well, the ownership wants him and this wants him and they're hell-bent on getting him and blah, 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 blah. First of all, how detrimental? I mean, when you look at your team's 1-7 in seven record now, you take a look at this. How much of that do you think the, all of this nonsense has maybe played a role in? I think it's played a, a massive role. Um, now, is it responsible for all seven losses? No. Uh, they have a lot of one-score loss so far this year. And that's another thing that this coach, this coaching staff, is actually seems pretty adept at because of some media figures, they just look at the record and they assume that this team got the 10 wins last year by winning a bunch of close games. That was not the case. They won 10 games last year by an average margin of 13 points. That was their their, mar- their average margin of victory in their ten games last year was ten points. They were two and four in true one score games. This year they've lost every single one score game except the first one. Okay, so they're one in what three in score games. So they have a knack for losing these one score games, but it that played a role because you can't. You know, I'm a member of the media, and in on all these Zoom calls, so I just tune them out. Because you have media, you have media from outside of Miami, you have national media that's credentialed for whatever reason. That all I want to ask is the same question, and it's always, "Are you trading for Deshaun Watson? Are you happy with Tua Tagovailoa?" It's the same question week in and week out for nine months, and then all the players get asked the same thing as well. So there's no way it's good. No, and then and then they leave and they go home and it's on the national media. It's on TV. You had a hilarious fucking tweet today. Mike Florio probably. These are all lies. The trade is imminent, damn it. It is one of the funniest. It it got a belly laugh from me in my office in the middle of the day. And yet to to the point of this conversation, you look at that and you see that even on the eve of this trade, the the, the Dolphins owner was willing to have a conversation with Deshaun Watson about his legal situation and to talk about this stuff. Chris, I know on a previous show we've made analogies to you and the way you, you know, how you'd feel about your employment if your employer did something that looked like on its face it was undermining you. Yeah. What that would do for your confidence, what it would do for your ability, what it would do for other people's confidence in you. 
NFL quarterback, you're supposed to be the leader of the football team. When all sources, you know, of course, these anonymous, faceless sources are pointing to this idea that you're not the leader of the franchise. The franchise doesn't like you. The franchise this, that, ba, 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 ba. How am I, as a wide receiver or an offensive lineman or a defensive player, how am I, even if you are coming along in terms of your talent, you're learning the football game, the game of NFL football, maybe you're not as good as some of the other guys drafted, like a Justin Herbert. Maybe you didn't just fall into this naturally, but no one can point to you and say you're the worst quarterback in the NFL. Yet nobody views you as a leader, and it's because the people at the highest levels of your organization are literally sandbagging you by allowing this circus to continue. I mean, Elf, I feel like this has been... I look at this and I say, okay, you guys have all the bones of a team that should be better than this. So we celebrate the fact that the trade didn't happen, but you have to look back at the wreckage that it leaves behind. And you wonder how much of this was avoidable if it was just a franchise that knew how to handle these things quietly. I mean, when we look at the Bills franchise, there are no leaks. Nobody talks about anything. Chris Trapasso today from CBS uh, like dropped a almost dime. All he could say was, there's going to be a move today. And that's it. And then when it didn't happen, he was like, yeah, I, I had heard that Trubisky to Washington was going to be close. And, that, <laughs> and it fell apart, and I don't know why. You don't know, because there's no leaks in our boat. And yet Miami, here's the owner doing and saying things out here in public that like these are all the things that should be done quietly behind closed doors with discretion so that your franchise doesn't look like one that doesn't have any confidence in the guys that it currently has so I, who do you think is more to blame for this in the aftermath do, do you think well, I think obviously uh, it, it, Flores and Chris Greer to a lesser extent they're the ones who are in front of microphones the owner they're, they had an opportunity so, uh, look, they, they pride themselves on not leaking and they never say anything. And when you watch one of their their, their press conferences and they're asked direct questions, questions as in, is Jerome Baker going to play this week? Is he too injured to play? Turns out, yeah, he was going to play and he didn't play against Buffalo. But all week they were saying, oh, he's looking okay in practice. He, you know, he might be able to go. He didn't even make the trip, I believe. So, you know, they just flat out lie Monday through Friday. And you, you just find out what you find out on Sunday. Now, in this case, they've been there's been leaks all along that kind of drew to the same conclusion you had today. That means that they could have snuffed all of this out months ago. Just by saying very, very simply, we're aware that, you know, Deshaun Watson has made available. He's a fabulous talent. But we're not comfortable with this current legal situation. We will revisit this next offseason. That's it. All you had to do, and it dies right there. But no, all they do is they stay silent, and they let Nick Casario and that that group in, in Houston, Kyle McNair, to drive this narrative as they're quiet and makes them look complicit. It makes them look like if they want to piss off Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. And why? Because all really, really started because Deshaun Watson refuses to waive his no trade clause for anybody else other than Miami. He's obsessed, I guess, with getting here well, somehow, some way. Well, and there's a little bit of logic to that. I mean, some of it's just shrewd. 
I mean, here's what I see. I see a guy who stands to make a boatload of money on his current contract who, if I have to go do it, I don't want to pay taxes on it if I don't have to. You mean to tell me I can go to Florida where I can live arguably what might be my way? And I, I think he's from Florida. I don't know that for a fact. But it's the south. It's warm. He gets to stay in an area that he's familiar with. And oh, by the way, you don't pay any taxes on this boatload of money you're looking for. Uh, yeah, he's from Louisiana, by the way. In, okay. In case for wonder. So, you, so you go to a franchise, and also, not for nothing, but you're going to a franchise where you'd, you'd walk in and essentially be the unquestioned, like, okay, you're the guy, and we don't have another plan. <laughs> we, we know you're too talented for us to replace you. I think it's shrewd on his part to only want to play for that team. I guess to your point, I just I feel like your team played a role in this circus kind of coming to fruition. And now when we look at it in retrospect, now that it's over, we know it's not happening, but God only knows what's going to happen this offseason if this ramps up again. This unending impatience that's ruined years of what could have been time spent building a truly sound and functional football team, it just knowing that Stephen Ross was still willing to have the conversation with Deshaun Watson last night tells me that this doesn't die. This is like the Lord of the Rings. And, you know, hey, we beat Sauron. He's going to go hide behind the Black Wall for a while, but he doesn't go away. It's just, this is just another thing that someday, a year, two years from now, we're going to have to deal with again. This impatience of our owner and his ability to hire and find people who, I I mean, not for nothing, I, I don't know how much pull either Greer or Flores have in that building. I mean, it's, it's Stephen Ross. He's a strong personality. He's been driving this train. I mean, I saw a tweet from, uh, what is it, Mike Epps. Uh, Jesus, I wish I could remember his handle. He's one of the fourth and inches crew, which we, you and I joke around about. <laughs> yeah, he's one of their crew. But he had a great point. He was like, this is like the movie where you find out that you just got Kaiser Sose by the owner of your football team and that he's been the bad guy this whole time. It's always <laughs> been this guy. Does that worry you about what's in store for Miami, not just as this season goes on, but off into the future, into next offseason? Yeah, if you look at everything, uh, the evidence seems to point to who's really in charge here, right? Like, it looks like Brian Flores is in charge. But then there's leaks today. He's completely into his corner, and all of this has been forced upon him, which is interesting, you know, since we're talking about Watson, but then you have the owner who did talk to Deshaun Watson, so that's evidence enough, right? That there is some interest there. And then Chris Greer, he just quietly goes about his business, never talks to the media anywhere, and is hiding being somewhere. He's hiding somewhere in that building, and nobody's seen him since since I think August, I believe. So you know who is in charge? Seems like the owner actually is driving this. And if he is, God help us this offseason. <laughs> Elf, we love you. I can't wait to hear your r- complete recap podcast with the the ever-brilliant Simon Glance. I mean, he makes me laugh so it hard. It actually just dropped right now. So. Hell yes. I can't wait to go check it out. Guys, if you're listening to this, go make sure you're checking out the, the latest podcast offerings from 3 Yards Per Carry. Why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you all on social? Uh, get our podcast go to our twitter page it's the number three yards per carry um you can 
our podcast anywhere spotify apple podcasts anywhere anywhere you your your podcast we're absolutely everywhere you want to follow me it's alpha underscore artiaga we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Chris... I, we just got done explaining all the reasons that the, the, there's probably, I mean, Miami trailing to Houston against the spread is fucking wild. How wild is this? The New York Jets beat the Cincinnati Bengals 34-31, and here to talk to us about all of it, as he is every week, Mr. Scott Mason. Scott, tell me this week wasn't a little more fun than most. Drew up is down, down is up, black is white. I don't know what's happening here. That game was so crazy for so many reasons. Like, you know the way it works with the Jets. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. In this game, it was the opposite. Every lucky break that normally goes against the Jets went in their favor. I'm not used to seeing it. And, look, there was uh, only about 50% of the crowd was there. It was Halloween. It was nice out. People... We're taking their kids trick-or-treating. The Jets had just lost by 41 points. Mike White was playing quarterback. So a lot of people said, ah, screw it. But, boy, the 50% of the people that went to that stadium got their money's worth and then some. Here's First of all, I want to raise a glass. The New York Jets have win number two on the books, which means that through eight weeks you've already tied last year's win total. Hell yes, mm-hmm. sir. That's for you. And also, the Miami Dolphins are firmly entrenched as being in sole possession of last place. We can all drink to that. <laughs> we just got done talking to Elf Artiago about it, and it was actually it was funny because he's like, well, we got games coming up against them, and that's, you know, we, we could get out of this. And my qu- immediate response was, yeah, but do you want to? Like, wouldn't you rather lose those games just could, to know that you'd be rid of what's going on in your coaching staff? And he's like, you know, uh. it's like who, who's what's the better QB controversy uh, controversy with somebody not on your team or a QB controversy on your team like so, the Jets have. So Chris is willing to say before we get into what Chris is alluding to you. Yeah, fuck it. I'll entertain Chris. Chris is Chris. You're a good soldier as a producer. You put up with so many of my shenanigans. It's, it's, hey, it's related to the Bills. It's the new Rob Johnson game. <laughs> he wants to. He, here, here's the question: You being a member of the you know just just this Jets fan base, Jets content creation community. 
This isn't the start of a full-blown quarterback controversy, is it? I doubt it. I mean, I talked about this yesterday on Twitter and even on the podcast, too. Eric Crocker, who I, I like a lot, former NFL uh, defense back, now does a lot of really good film breakdown on defensive backs and wide receivers. Great guy, by the way. Check out his stuff if you want to learn about wide receivers and corners. He, he posted about this whole situation and asked about like what Jets fans were thinking. And really what I think this comes down to is, look, Mike White obviously, I mean, <laughs> it would be an understatement to say he outpaced any reasonable expectation. Dude, he, now, threw, for 13 more pa- had, he threw for 13 right, more passing right. yards than you have in your last two games combined. Right, right. And it was the first 400-yard passing game since Benny Testaverde against the eventual Super Bowl champion Ravens on Christmas Eve of 2000. But, look, Luke Grant has gone out of his way to point out that the depth of target was really low and it's not a repeatable performance and all that. But the bottom line is Mike White looked in command of the offense. He was making quick decisions. He was getting the ball out. They were moving the chains, and it was nothing fancy. They didn't have any plays over 20 yards in the passing game, but it worked. And what, what I'm saying now to people is, look, if Mike White plays really well against the Colts, and then maybe against you guys uh, in two weeks, then then maybe it's a situation where you, you have that discussion, right? Like, let's say, just for the sake of argument, Mike White plays really well, the Jets beat the Colts, and then let's say they upset you guys at home against the, um, you know, uh, they upset you guys at home at Met, uh, MetLife Stadium, right? Well, at that rate, if the Jets are four and five, right, and... Mike White is rolling, and the team is showing the kind of energy they haven't shown, and now all of a sudden at 4-5, and five, the playoffs aren't out of the question. Then maybe you sit there and go, well, Wilson's not 100%. He's like 80%, and maybe we just roll with Mike White, and Zach Wilson's the future, but, you know, maybe it'll benefit him to sit and learn, and we turn to him next year. And if Mike White plays really well, then maybe we trade him for a really good return at the end of the season, blah, 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 blah. But we're a long way away from that. Well, I hope so. For all we know. No, I was going to say, I hope that your franchise is smart enough to avoid the situation that we just got done dissecting with Elfar Tiaga. <laughs> that you do not want a quarterback controversy. You, you, well, you, even in the building, there's, out of the building, to Chris's point, I don't think it matters. No, well, I think out of the building is worse because... Now you're basically telling Tua, not only do we not believe in you, but we believe in you so little that we're basically trying to trade for this guy who's under FBI investigation. <laughs> so it was kind of crazy there. But, no, I mean, look, like I said, I don't think that there's any doubt that Zach Wilson is the future. The question is, is Mike White the present? Right now the answer is still no. Look, Matt, Matt Eberflus is one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL. The Colts are playing the Jets on, you know, short turnaround. I'm sure that Eberflus will have the Colts ready to defend what the Jets were doing, which is just death by a thousand cuts, right? Because the idea will be you swarm the box, you swarm in tight, and you make Mike White have to stretch the field and go down the field, right? And we'll see if he can do that. He'll have to adjust, and we're not sure if he can. We haven't seen him have to do it yet. Clearly, he caught the Bengals off guard with what he was doing. Well, and let's, but, let, let, whoa, whoa, before you move on from that, I, just for Bills fans' sake who didn't get to watch the game, this is the thing I want them to understand. Running back Michael Carter was drafted as kind of an 
to anyone else in the NFL community, he was kind of an afterthought. Everyone went, Michael Carter, okay, we heard a lot about him. Through six weeks, seven weeks, he hasn't really produced much. It's 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 a just total throwaway, what have you. His 14 targets well, in the passing game led the team. 95 yards receiving pace all players. 170 all-purpose yards and a touchdown. Now, does that mean he's the next coming mm-hmm. of Adrian Peterson? No. But I look at guys like, just a week ago, Dernis Johnson, right? All the running backs in Cleveland get injured, and they say, okay, we got to go to our depth. Not just our backup, our second string, because we're running a running back by committee, but our depth. You reach into the basket, and what you pull out is solid gold, because this guy responds with a career game. Maybe not even just a career game. He put up a better game than Le'Veon Bell ever had in a Jets uniform. That, to me, is telling of a guy who has some talent if you can find the ways to involve him. Additionally, what I Mm -hmm. found crazy, no names scoring in the red zone. Because the Bengals aren't a bad defense. They took away your top targets. And yet... No, actually, Drew, the Bengals are a top 10 defense, which makes it even crazier. That's it. They took away your big guns. You know, they, they essentially just said, hey, listen, we're not going to let Corey Davis beat us. We're not going to let uh, we're not going to let a lot of these guys. Well, get- the, the, there's, the, there's, a re- there's a reason Corey Davis couldn't beat him. It's because he was hurt and didn't play. But yeah. OK, no, no. Whoa. whoa. So this makes it even that, that makes it even more damning. You guys went up against without Corey Davis, your most tenured wide receiver. Yep. You guys go up against this defense. This is this is a slam dunk for them. And they pay so much attention yep. to your primary weapons that Braxton fucking Berrios catches a touchdown pass. He has just three in his entire career, well, and he catches one here against them. Well, and, that, <coughs> and that's the thing, Drew, that, that needs to be told about the story of this game for those that didn't watch it. The Jets, over the last couple of years, whenever they get punched in the mouth, they would whimper off. In this particular game, the Jets were punched in the mouth numerous times. And what they would do is they dusted themselves off, got back up, and just struck right back. It, the, the, the thing that stands out to me was the Jets were down 31-20 with seven minutes to go in the game. Mike White drives the Jets down the field, and they get themselves a touchdown. Ty Johnson, who has had trouble in the receiving game, the running back, had a great play where he caught a pass. Uh, out of the backfield, took it all the way down, looked like he was shoved out of bounds, but the replay showed that he actually went over the pile lot. So he fought for that touchdown. He and Michael Carter, by the way, both played phenomenally. And Michael Carter, by the way, just to elaborate a little bit on what you're saying, Carter's actually played well. The thing is they haven't given him much room to run. He's been great at breaking first contact, but this was an opportunity where they, they broke open holes for him, so he took advantage. But anyway, the Jets score that touchdown. Now with four and a half minutes left, it's 31-26. to They go for two, don't get it, right? So now you're thinking, all right, the Bengals are going to get the ball. They're going to drive down the field. They'll ice the game. That'll be the end of it. The Bengals get the ball. Burrow goes back to throw, throws it. It gets deflected up into the air, and Shaq Lawson, who's deflected it, comes down with it. Now, Shaq Lawson, I didn't know this, but afterwards in the postgame presser said that that was the first time at any level of football even Peewee, that he had an interception, which is, again, not the kind of break you'd expect for the Jets, but they took full advantage. They went down. They, they uh, Mike White hit Tyler Croft with the go-ahead touchdown, and then 
They were up 32-31. They went for the two-point conversion, which just minutes ago they hadn't gotten. And this was the play to me that really got the fans amped. I mean, there have been plays that got them amped all throughout, but this one, the Jets snap it to White, who hands it to Michael Carter, to Jamison Crowder, who's running right. I'm sitting in the end zone with my father in our, in our seats where, you know, we're at the end zone where all the action is happening now. As Crowder is rolling right, I turn to my dad and I go, oh, my God, they've got a man open. And my dad goes, who? I go, it's Mike White. And he throws it to Mike White, and White catches doing the snow angels. The crowd goes nuts. Every, all the players are mobbing him. And that, to me, was so different than what we've seen out of the Jets most of these times. Even in the wins, they've been, a lot of them have been ugly, gross wins. And, you know, even this one was, they kept getting punched and coming back. They, they were down 17-7 with under two minutes to go in the half. And by the way, uh, this was after Jamison Crowder had fumbled the ball back to the Bengals. So you're like, oh, well, now the Jets aren't going to score. The Jets marched down the field, and Mike White hits Keelan an incredible touchdown catch. Cole looked like Odell Beckham on this one. But the referees reviewed it and said he was juggling it as he was coming down. They overturned it. So as a Jets fan, you're thinking, all right, great, they're screwed now, right? Well, two plays later, as you just said, he throws another touchdown, this time to Berrios, and it counts. So again, in the past, the Jets would have folded or they would have gone in the locker room 17-7 and maybe never recovered. But in this game, they just kept fighting. And there was something about what was going on with Mike White. Again, I don't think anyone will argue he's a better quarterback than Wilson. I don't think anybody will argue he's more talented. But there was a certain energy from the beginning of the game where the Jets scored their first first quarter points of the entire season on a seven-minute opening drive that led to a touchdown run by Mike Carter. And then the defense immediately stopping the Bengals on a three-and-out and forcing the punt when uh, C.J. Mosley made a phenomenal tackle to stop, uh, to stop um, uh, I believe it was Jamar Chase, from getting the first down, uh, held them to fourth and one. There was an energy on that defense and an energy on the offense. Even that Tennessee game, when Zach Wilson was phenomenal, even then, the Jets got off to a slow start, and it really wasn't until the second half that things started to happen. This game from the beginning... It was a well-balanced effort. The Jets were in it. They competed. They came back when they got hit in the face. And this was the most enjoyable Jets game that I've watched probably since at least 2018. They showed so much on both sides of the ball. This is all we wanted, Drew. How many times did I tell you when we were doing these podcasts in the preseason, in the offseason, even the beginning of the season, all most Jets fans wanted was a competitive team with a fun offense and young players that were making plays. Well, guess what? You said it. Michael Carter, 170 yards of total offense, their fourth-round pick. I'd have, I don't know how long I'd have to go back. I'd have to really take a look, but it might even be Freeman McNeil or Curtis Martin who would have been the last Jets running back to have that kind of all-purpose day. Elijah Moore, his best game as a pro, six catches, 67 yards. Uh, Michael Carter the second, their fifth-round slot corner, had an excellent day in the slot. Even Brandon Eccles, their sixth-round corner pick out of Kentucky, did a really good job when he had to go up against Jamar Chase, which was very unexpected. Elijah Vera Tucker was phenomenal. He was shoving guys around all day, pancaking the crap people. 
And I think he's already become the Jets' best offensive lineman, and it's not even halfway through the season. So this is exactly what Jets fans were looking for when the season started. The wins were nice, but they wanted this type of performance, and they finally got it. Now, we'll see if Mike White can keep this up against the Colts. If he does, then it becomes a very interesting game going up against the Bills at home the week after that. But for now, as I tell people, Zach Wilson's obviously still going to come back and be the starter, but as Robert Salas said, anything's possible. If Mike White over the next couple of weeks produces some wins and plays well, they may think to themselves, he gives us our best chance to win now. Zach's our guy next year anyway. Let him sit, heal, and learn. And so Mike White has a real opportunity in the Jets. Listen, I'm not saying that they're going to win a bunch of games because the odds are the stagecoach probably turns back into a pumpkin, if not Thursday, then the following Sunday against the Bills, who, by the way, you're welcome, guys, are, I believe now, if not the number one seed in the AFC again, certainly closer because the Jets knocked off the Bengals. But if the Jets can pull off some magic, it'll be a discussion. But it, it's most likely that White turns back into what we were expecting him to be. But look, the Jets, if you remember, in the year 2002, they started off, I believe it was either 1-4 and four or 2-5, and five. With Vinny Testaverde, Chad Pennington came in. They rallied and won a ton of games in a row and ended up winning uh, a playoff spot. They won the division that year, which probably you know wouldn't happen even if they won on a run. This saying, anything can happen. The odds are very strong that this is just going to be an outlier. But right now, if you're a Jets fan, just enjoy what's happening. Enjoy the fun, competitive football and get behind it and hope to see more of it. What else can you really say? Where can people find what you have coming up on on uh, podcasts this week, and where can they find you on social? That was one long rant, but you know that's what we do around here, right? Hell so yeah! You can find this me is it. Play like a jet one, and uh, you can also find the podcast seven days a week. True, I, I know we're going to talk after we stop recording. I want to have you on before the Jets and the Bills game to break down the Bills. But we're, we're doing know your foe this week. My friend George Bremer, who covers the Colts, will be on to break down what the Jets may need to do against the Indianapolis Colts. We've got the midweek news reports. We've got the post-game report, the pre-game report, where we try to make you some money with prop bets and last-minute injury news. And then Walter Starpinski, Walter Football, WalterFootball.com, will also give you his picks from around the league. Uh, we've got Brian Bassett and his boys doing There's Always Next Year, which is kind of a fun look at what's going on around the Jets. We've got our YouTube channel. Luke Grant is a busy bee, the Thunder from Down Under. He's got a lot of videos coming this week. Elijah Bear Tucker explaining why he's been such a beast so far. We're going to take a look at Mike White. Luke's going to break down what went down with Michael Carter. He's going to break down the difference between what was going on with Michael LaFleur. I think it's safe to say, gentlemen, that he's going to be in the, the box uh, where he belongs the rest of the season rather than watching from the, uh, from the sidelines. And so... All of that will be on the YouTube channel. And like I said, the podcast is available seven days a week. Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Apple, whatever it is you use to download your podcast. You can get me at Play Like a Jet One. And I have to say, Drew, I'm very pleased, even though I disagree with your sentiment about being somewhat bah humbug on Christmas. I love that meme you posted with Brett the Hitman Hart and Randy Macho Man Savage. So even if it's in service of sort of going off on Christmas coming a little too early for your liking, I, I give it the thumbs up because I love that you're finally getting into the wrestling spirit. And that for, 
I mean, it, it can't take the crown as the weekend's most exciting or, or I guess more, most unexpected outcome because, I mean, the Jets. <laughs> the Jets and 400-yard quarterbacks, like the, those don't fit in the same <laughs> sentence together. But the New England Patriots beat the Chargers 27-24 on just a what well, had to be an effort fueled by pettiness and spite on the on, on the part of Adrian Phillips. And here to talk to us about it tonight is Patriots superfan Christian Simonelli. How are you, sir? Um, good at four and four. How are you guys? I, 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 I'll tell you this. I'm sick and tired. I, I'm, I, I hate to say this. I'm sick and tired of listening to our listeners. I've been taking a lot of shit. Christian, I've been taking a lot of shit because I've been very complimentary of the New England Patriots over the last couple weeks. And everyone goes, oh, no, that's just Drew and his love for Alabama. It's just Alabama quarterbacks, this, and blah, 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 blah. The reality is the Patriots are a better team than I think any Bills fan gave them credit for up to this point. And when I look uh, at... Good caveat, right. Well, and that's it. Like, up to this point... The Bills fans have been discounting. You know, everyone is talking about this. Is like it's, it's Mike Debate from Lockdown Patriots. I love him, but he comes on our show, and you know he's he's the consummate professional, and he tells us, ah, you know, I still think the division runs through Buffalo. I still think it runs through Buffalo. Buffalo's got the best team. You guys are one win behind the Buffalo Bills eight weeks into the season. If I just as a fan, if I had told you that would have been the outcome two months ago. What would you have been willing to wager that I was wrong? Um, I would have probably been willing to wager a fair amount of money. Uh, you know, I probably would have bet you like 500 bucks. Okay. So a $500 bet would have said that the Patriots will not be one win out of the AFC East lead. Yet that's where we are. And when you look back at that game, you're right. starting to see the things that I've been telling Bills fans. Like, listen, this is what you have to pay attention to. The Chargers... Chris, our bye week, we did a show kind of looking at the virtues and the failures of every single AFC contender this year. I mean, this might be the most wide open the AFC has been in the last 10 years. Yeah, it's like us and everyone else. Mm -hmm. So you held the Chargers. They've now been held under 210 yards passing for a second straight game. Anytime they run into a team capable of playing physical man-to-man coverage, their passing offense wilts. And that's not the first time we've seen it, because you go back to last year when the Bills played them, we held them to 166 yards. Like, that's not nothing. <laughs> they're, they're not great. Or excuse me, well, I don't think it was 166, but it was close. That number stuck in my head for some reason. Call in if you know. But, <laughs> but ultimately, <laughs> I look at this and I say to myself, here's a team that has a rookie quarterback but your defense is starting to round into form. Like this is the Patriots defense we thought we were going to see all year, right? It is, and it was actually a game that uh, you know, and I think Mike Tabati also early on uh, said, you know, th- that this is how the Patriots are going to win both games. Uh, how how they're going to win most of the games this year, defense and a running game, and that's really what we saw Sunday. Um, you know the. It's now the second time that Belichick has faced Justin Herbert and you know, pretty much, you know, held him in check. Um, 
and the running game looked good. You know, Damian Harris ran very well, and it was a total it was an old school had the win had an old school feel to it, early two thousands feel to it. See, and that's what I want to talk to you about this idea because <sighs> this narrative has already been built that the Patriots are sheltering Mac Jones, that they're oh no, he's he's just a system quarterback, which. I'm not. How crazy is it to you, first of all, that people ever called Tom Brady a system quarterback? It, it, it. Well, it drove me nuts after, um, after '07 when he, he, you know, he showed everybody that I can do it any way I want to do it, and it's, it, it used to drive me crazy because people used to say he's just a system quarterback and he's not the without Bill because, quite frankly, hey, they were jealous of of, of, of the team's success, <laughs> you know, and and so you're going to knock Brady for that, but yeah. Drove me nuts. Drove me absolutely nuts. So now you're seeing the same narrative start to build about Mac Jones, and I get why, because they're kind of holding him back. They're being conservative of what they do with the play calling. But that's the thing that this team needs in order to win here in 2021. And this game was a perfect, just a perfect picture of that. You guys didn't have to try to make plays. Instead, you focus on, listen, we're going to take away the big plays for them, which you did. Keenan Allen. 11 targets, just six catches, 77 yards. He got loose for one 41-yard catch. But if you take that out of the equation, kind of like, Chris, when we talked about Derrick Henry against the Buffalo Bills defense. Yep. If you take out the 77-yard touchdown run, his yards per carry were not that great. Nothing to write home about. If you take out the 41-yard pass for Keenan Allen, he had seven yards per reception on the other five. That's not going to win you a football game. And the rushing numbers that the Chargers were able to put up kind of illustrate that you guys put a clear commitment in stopping the pass. Uh, Eckler had a 28-yard run, an 11-yard run. Jackson got loose for a 75-yard run. Okay, like these are these are plays. Like, hey, we're giving this up because we're we're willing to roll the dice that you as a team. I mean, Bill Belichick did this to Chris. He did this to Jim Kelly in the Super Bowl. He said, look, the strength right now of how we're about to play you should be you running the football. And yet, I feel like I know you well enough to know you won't. You won't just commit to it. Instead, you're going to try to throw it around. And it's not going to go well for you. <laughs> it, it, yeah. was, it was a vintage yeah, coaching I mean, that, performance. That's, yeah, the, um, you know, I'm actually reading um, the Seth Wickersham book right now, and it's so funny that you guys bring this up because I'm, I'm in the part of the book where we're talking about Belichick and how he scouts teams and how he instructs, you know, the, 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 the coaches, you know, to, to bring their reports to them and, and to look for tendencies. There's actually a part in there about the early 2000s Bills and the plays that they would run. Um, it's interesting. It talked about throwing the ball to Eric Mould when they were, like, inside the 20, something like 88% of the time or something. It was crazy. Um, so yeah, he basically dared the charges to run on, on Sunday. And what was interesting following the, the game, um, you know, Justin Herbert said, yeah, they played a little bit more zone than we thought they would. And that kind of screwed us up a little bit. So I think this is really, again, you know, as has been the case for about a part of two decades, Bill just trying to, you know, look at the, and, and and just scheming and game planning for that particular opponent. I will say though, uh, Matt Jones did take the shots in this game. He threw uh, six balls uh, of ten yards or more, which is like a like a record for him, I think, in games this year. 
they took shots. They only hit on one to Aguilar. The rest they didn't hit on. So he was taking some more shots this uh, this game that he has in, uh, in previous games. Oh, for sure. And I think that the, the most important part to that statement that you just made is that he took shots, but they didn't end up in turnovers. They were passes that were either like, look, we're going to take some shots and I'm not going to turn the ball over much. They're going to be safe shots. We're going to allow you to do this in a vacuum right. and we're going to bring you along. And soon you're going to see, because anybody who watched Alabama play last year knows that he can throw the ball downfield in a vertical passing game. Like he, he has the ability to do that. So the fact that they're still just working him along speaks to the fact that they have a plan. They say, look, we know physically, we know historically that you can do this. We just don't need you to do it right now. Don't force it. Let us bring you along. And the fact that he can take those shots now for the first time all season and not turn the ball over, you're going to start seeing this develop. And that's kind of the the secondary point I want to make here. For people who doubt this football team, because I'm... Chris, I feel like I'm that... I don't want to say, I don't even know what you would call it. I'm like that guy on the wall who's like, hey, guys, there's trouble brewing out here. And everyone goes, no, we're fine, because you guys are throwing a party downstairs. (laughs) And I say, hey, guys, I think the cops are outside. And everyone's like, no, you're being paranoid. And I'm like, yeah, I might be paranoid, but also I think the cops are out there. And then all of a sudden someone's pounding on the door yelling, sheriff, open the door. And I'm like, guys, I told you this was coming. The New England Patriots are not going to go quietly into the night. And I know this because I've watched their offense improve every single week. Because I hate... Simonelli, I'm willing to admit it. And I think every one of our listeners knows, I hate watching the New England Patriots. It's the condensed version of the game sometimes. Sometimes it's the Sunday night game or the 4 o'clock game. But I hate watching your team. And I probably will forever. Because I'm a bitter, petty son of a bitch. (laughs) I've watched your offense improve every single week. Weeks one through four, you only had one game where you scored over 20 points, which came against the Jets, which almost doesn't count. <laughs> it does. It does. It does. It's like in hockey, Chris. They all count the same on the scoreboard, right? 100%. Garbage goals versus if you snipe the top left corner over an outstretched hand of the goalie, doesn't matter. You scored. You beat the Jets, but you only had one win in that span. Weeks four through eight, you have four games of more than 25 points, three wins, and an overtime loss against a Cowboys team that's red hot right now. That should scare the shit out of everybody who's been doubting the New England Patriots. How encouraging is it for you as a fan, and what is the what is the attitude of the fan base at this point? Because I, I feel like the expectations as your team as the team's production ramps up. Expectations have to be shifting, right? They certainly have, especially after this game. The narrative going into the the game against the Chargers this week was, okay, you got three wins, two of them were against the Jets, you haven't buddy, and at uh, Houston. So this will be a good barometer to see where the team is at because it's on the road and it's against the team that's pretty good. And they went out there and won, and you know, now everybody, instead of saying, gee, I don't know if they can eke out eight wins, is talking 10-7 and seven and a playoff seed. It's amazing what a week can do. Um, I am still definitely afraid of this secondary, particularly Jalen Mills. 
I am uh, definitely afraid of the linebackers, in particular uh, Kyle Van Oy, who seems to have lost a step, as well as uh, Hightower seems to have lost a step. So I think overall the Chargers, believe it or not, were actually a good matchup for this team moving forward. Um, I, I, I don't know how they fare against Buffalo twice and how they're going to be able to stop them. I don't know. I'm going to probably come on here at some point and you guys are going to be pulling your hair out maybe that, you know, uh, Belichick, you know, limited you guys in points and you guys squeaked out a win or maybe we beat you. But I have a very hard time seeing how this Patriot team matches up against the team that can really move the ball at will like Buffalo uh, has done. And despite the fact that you, know, you guys had your struggles against Miami, um, you still won the game and you won the game by double digits this past week. And that's what good teams do. Like they'll show up and not give their best, but you know, they'll be able to pull out a win in the end. And you guys won by more than two touchdowns. So just over two touchdowns was 26 to 11, I think. But yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel pretty good, but I'm not getting carried away by any means. Cause I, I'm with Mike. I still believe that the division goes through Buffalo. It's just crazy to me. I mean, your defense isn't perfect. You're still giving up more than 100 yards per game on the ground. So to your point, there's still warts. But that passing defense is rounding into form. And that's scary for a team like us, Chris, that can't run the ball worth a damn. No, I might be a better (laughs) option in our run game. And not to mention the fact that you guys have the 10th easiest schedule remaining. Everyone kept pointing to the fact that the Bills had an easy schedule this year as to why we would, oh, this is why they're going to win the division. This is why they're capable of being a shoe-in for the number one seed. Well, not going to lie to you. You guys aren't that far off. We're like third. So you guys still have some tough games left. We have a handful. But it's just interesting to see you guys hanging around. And I, I, we were actually just uh, drinking with a uh, Patriots fan this weekend, and I thought of you. He's He literally drives up from Massachusetts because he found it a cheaper day of seasons here, go to all the AFC games, sell the rest, and then he's like, I, I don't break even. He goes, but it's cheaper than me having going to one game with me and my buddies and my family at Gillette. So right. it's it's crazy yeah. to just have that experience. Like there's, <laughs> there's a random Patriots fan just in our lot, and so he and I will get to talking football. It always makes me think of you. When are we going to get you up here for a football game? Uh, man, I'd love to be able to get up there next year at some point for a game, definitely. Um, you know, and and we got we got to see what the schedule looks like next year, and I got to plan it out to come up there. I hope it's in September. I hope we play you guys early. I don't want to come up there in December like this year. <laughs> oh, come on. That's the fun of it. Come on now. <laughs> Christian, I, I love having open, honest conversation with a Patriots fan. Our listeners, they like I said, they think I have some love affair with your team just because of who your quarterback is and where he went to college. But th- these are great conversations. Where can people find you on social media if they want to have more of them? Well, thank you. I enjoy it, too. I always love coming on. Um, at tw- on Twitter, at Chris with the T-I-A-N. Uh, give me a follow. give you a follow back. And like I said, all the time um, when I'm on here, I always love going back and forth with fans of other teams. And, you know, I-, I particularly enjoy it when other teams are losing and I get to follow the tweets of frustrated fan bases. There's a little, just a little part of me that takes some pleasure in that for some sick reason. But um, So, yeah, give me a follow. give you a follow back, and I hope to see you mean tweets. Alf Artiaga, Scott Mason, Christian Simonelli, just like the FBI, not the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I'm talking like full-blooded Italians from ECW. Oh, my God. Is just that a real the, thing? Yeah. Hang on. Is that a real thing that they allowed to happen? 
Yeah. The full-blooded Italians. Yeah, that was an actual group in ECW in the late 90s. Oh, my Look God. Look it up. They were the best. I... No, I don't think I don't think they can be the best. I'm pretty sure that was. Again, here here's a question: Do people actually get mad about that stuff? Like, why aren't they all canceled? Because this was the late '90s when you can do stuff like that. <laughs> like, how come no one's gotten in trouble for being the full blooded Italians? I guarantee you, there was at least at least one full handlebar Anthony Chiandra mustache. No, I don't think any of them had a mustache. What? You had, uh, um, oh, well, then you can't call yourself a full-blooded... If one of you doesn't look like Luigi, I'm out. You had Little Guido. <laughs> was no! One. They didn't call him that! Yeah, that was his name. Little Guido and Big Sally Graziano. They had Tommy Rich, Tracy Smothers. How was this allowed to be on TV? It's the late 90s. That's back when nobody had Twitter to cancel people. Jesus Christ. In any event, that brings us to the Buffalo Bills. And the Bills beat the Dolphins 26-11. Now, we have our recap show earlier in the week, our preview show for next week's contest against the Jaguars with down, the guys from Down by the Bank, which I I, I I love talking to those guys, especially J.K. the third. He's hilarious to me. I want to talk to you guys about the Bills at the trade deadline. I love our fans. And I feel like that as a fan base, we've gotten better, or at least smarter, as a fan base over the last decade. Probably because of podcasts like Cover One and Locked On Bills. I mean, Chris, WGR doesn't educate anybody on anything, does it? No, they've just been giving us the same thing for like the last, I think, 20 years. Okay. Same morning show, same drive time show. And yet, in the era of internet sports content, there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of blogs that are doing some really great work. I mean, Lord knows nobody's listening to this yet because I'm teaching you anything. You're not here, Chris, short of what life decisions to make and avoid. Like, I'm a cautionary tale. That's what I am. <laughs> a walking, talking, cautionary tale. Outside of that, I don't know what our listeners could be learning from me on a week-to-week basis. Hey, don't get beat up outside of a Denny's. Avoid that. Yeah, I don't think that we've ever told that story. I mean, we did, uh, but I cut it out. I can't wait for the day. I mean, literally, the only th- the only things I think anybody would have learned from me at this point is to not get beat up outside of a Denny's. Um, I don't know, run the ball because, yeah, you know, and then why Dan Snyder sucks. And, That's it. And what to do if you have uh, dental questions. Yes. That too. Although, did I? Or did I just show them like, hey, this is something you should pay attention to? Yeah. And yet, today, in age, amongst Bills fans, watching you on Facebook, on Twitter, it, it takes me right back to the WGR liner, well, liner line days. There are huge, loud contingents of our fans when it comes to days like today or times like these. Watching other teams make trades at the deadline, they get what I can only call why not me syndrome. It's like when you're a 12-year-old kid and you see a bunch of kids that you know from school who are putting together a trip to the beach and they don't invite you. You might be inclined to feel left out or like you're missing something. Maybe it's a blow to your ego. Maybe you feel. Maybe you felt like you were one of the one of the crew and then you find out you're not. 
and and you like you let that bother you until you realize that you don't even like the beach. Chris, when I sit back and think about it, the beach is awful. I do not like the beach. Seagulls are just rats with wings that don't live in New York City. They're just waiting to steal your food. I'll never forget it. I was a, I was in fourth, fifth grade, going to Brant Daycare. Jesus Christ, daycare. Brant uh, Summer Camp. And they took us to Evangola State Park. And while I'm at the beach, now, I didn't get sent with money to buy things at the snack shack. Like, I just got sent with a lunch. Brown bag then. Yeah. So, so I'm here, just this chubby little kid at the beach. And some fucking seagull swoops down less than a foot and a half in front of me, steals my peanut butter and fluff sandwich, and flies off with it. I chased that bird down the beach, throwing rocks at it for almost 20 minutes. I will never forget how angry I was in that moment. Yeah, I would be too. The beach is awful. I mean, first of all, seagulls, what? So so what? You're going to steal things from me, maybe poop on me as you're flying by. You don't... What about flock of seagulls? What? (laughs) Chris, you took your hair cues from them. I get why you'd be... I get why you'd have a soft spot for them. That's right. Long in the front, long in the back. (sighs) Flock of seagulls. You're the worst. Sand itself is garbage, right? Like, sand sucks. Sand is in one of the top ten things that I hate. Sand, definitely in the top ten. It gets hot like asphalt, and it's hard to walk in. Oh, good. Why don't we just throw all of this all over the place and then go throw ourselves in it? Plus, when you're done at the beach and you think you got all of the sand out, you didn't. There's, you still oh, yeah, no, it sticks to everything. Yeah, it sticks to everything. <laughs> and, well, obviously it looks cool. And you can see a lot of cool sunsets and sunrises, and I've seen plenty of both from the beach. If you go there during the day, you're just sweaty the whole time for no reason, because you could just be inside. That's what the NFL trade deadline is. It's the beach. It looks cool, but in actuality, it can all kick fucking rocks. Look at the Rams. The Rams traded for Von Miller. And everybody's celebrating what feels like this immense value. A second and third rounder in 2022 for a player who is in the upper echelon of the NFL right now this season for pressures, despite not having a lot in the way of sack production. That is clearly the missing piece for a Super Bowl team, right? I'm surprised that the Rams were able to find draft picks to give Denver. (laughs) I want you to stop and think about that for a second, though. Exactly, because of what you just said. I mean, that move, the trade to make your team immensely better and sacrifice draft capital, that's what Jared Goff was supposed to be in 2016. As was the first round of the trade of away for Brandon Cooks back in 2018 from New Orleans. Or last year's trade. trade not just trade, but trade and extension of Jalen Ramsey before last season's trade deadline. Or replacing that quarterback that you drafted, <laughs> that you traded up for, trading him and more first-round draft picks for a new quarterback in Matt Stafford before the season even got started, and then throwing away a mid-round pick on Sony Michelle. They've been hemorrhaging draft picks ever since 2016, and if you notice, some of the players that they've been acquiring in this, these deals and these head headline-grabbing moves. Aren't even on the fucking team anymore. 
They have just a fifth and a seventh round pick left of their 2020 class. And Chris, I said this to my wife yesterday. I have two questions when it comes to this. One, doesn't if you're a scout for that team, doesn't their approach just make you feel, I don't know, you know, I constantly use you as my kind of example as far as how you would feel when it comes to your job. What if you put all of this work in year round to, hey, we're going to do scouting reports and we're going to, we are going to do all of the deep diving on these prospects that we think this football team needs that you've prioritized as positions of need. And then you're going to take all that paper paperwork, you're going to tear it up and use it to light your cigars as you celebrate the fact that you traded away all of the draft capital that would have landed any of these players. Wouldn't that make you hate your job a little bit? Yeah, probably. How about, how does it feel right now to be a regional scout for the Rams? Oh, I don't have to do anything. We don't have any picks. We don't have any picks. <laughs> what am I doing here? Like, you would legitimately start to question, why am I here? And I was joking with my wife. Why don't they just trade their fifth and seventh, package them up, trade them away for a future fourth, and just not have to show up this year? Yeah. That's what I would do. Get the summer vacation underway early. But it, it underscores this because here's the problem. You're, you're the team that's done all of these moves. You've made all these moves. You've done all these trades. And yet, you're, I, I, here's what you're left with. You've got some bloated, immovable contracts on your books, despite being 7-1, and one, and you just had to fight tooth and nail not to lose to Geno Smith, quarterbacking the Seahawks, and the winless Lions almost beat you. Like, what? What? I, I, I thought that all these trades were supposed to make you a juggernaut. <laughs> they still got a good chance to be in the Super Bowl this year. Okay, but is that the group you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a part of the team that has no draft capital, is playing for right now, and there's still questions as to whether or not they're the best team in their conference? Look, I would sign up. I would sign up for the Bills giving away all draft capital if it meant for this upcoming draft. If it meant that they were going to win the Super Bowl this year, but if that was even a dice roll, let's say it was a, a yeah. sixty forty bet. Yeah how how often do you still yell at me about to bring this to hockey? Uh, back when the Sabers were good in the early two thousands, we went and played Carolina, and Darcy Ruggier was stagnant at the trade deadline. And didn't make a move. Might have cost us the Stanley Cup. That's fair. But what are the odds that it makes a huge difference? I don't know. Football's, football's a little different than the NHL with the nuances of the, the playbook and having to know how all of that works now that you're in a new system. So this is it. And this is, I, I guess, and here's the thing. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be the team, right? Do you want to have a GM who has a plan? A long-term plan, not just for today, but also for tomorrow. Or do you want to be the guy who leverages tomorrow at the expense of today over and over and over again? Because now that he started down this road, and you talk about windows, well, he created a window after he traded for Jared Goff. And then he thought he could hold that window open by sacrificing more of the future. And then they traded him away. They got Matt Stafford. Now they're giving away more and more and more of their draft capital to keep that window open because they still think they can win one. 
Chris, 2016 and now, all of those trades, all that action, they made one Super Bowl and lost it badly. It was 10 to 3. It wasn't 10 to 3 because they were terrible. Yeah, because Belichick figured out McVay's offense. And then they came back the next year, and what? I think they missed the playoffs the following year because they figured out (laughs) a little bit of what McVay was trying to do. And then McVay adapted, and then they've been good since. So I'm watching what, like, none of this makes any sense. Do you want to be those guys? Because I feel like that would be more frustrating than anything else. Every year, your team's selling you a slightly more polished turd than the last year. That would front, knowing that eventually the bottom will fall out of this thing, and when it does, you're in a lot of trouble. If that, it's if that it, would upset me, if this leads them to getting to the Super Bowl for a chance to win it, and then you, yes, I like I look, I like being, and you'd want to lose in the same deflating fashion because your team's actually not that good. I would because you're just making minor because you're not fixing the problems. This is my point, Chris. Look at this. Earlier today, I had a conversation with somebody about the Chiefs trading for Melvin Ingram for a 6th round pick. Right? I've been arguing with people about trades all week. The Chiefs trade away a 6th round pick for Melvin Ingram, which was supposed to be some sort of proof or proof of concept that the Bills weren't trying hard enough to win here in 2021. Look at Ingram's statistics, Chris. They're up there in front of you. Why don't you read them off to our listeners? No sacks in seven games last season. One sack in seven games this year. Uh, one tackle for loss in its last 14. While in 2019, he was a Pro Bowler with 23 pressures, and he has 23 in his last two seasons combined. That's the guy? That's going to fix your fucking problems? Oh, but you're mad because, well, the fact that we didn't make a move proves we don't want it badly enough. First of all, ask, ask yourself this. How does that fix the Chiefs' problems? Go to the Chiefs. Everything that I ran down this offseason that were problems with the Chiefs is coming to fruition. They have an inexperienced offensive line that now they're having to start flip-flopping people around. They have to start rotating tackles. They have to start... Injuries are creeping in. They don't have depth up front. They have small wide receivers that can't win contested catches. So their offense is starting to stagnate a little bit to the degree that they they literally were in a tooth and nail rock fight with the New York Giants who were missing, what, all of their wide receivers? The Chiefs' problems run a lot deeper than what yeah. the Rams have. And so this is my point, though. So you trade away a six-round pick for Melvin Ingram. Does he fix your team? No. No. You're shuffling deck chairs in the Titanic. And at the same time, what if the Bills had made that move? Where would Ingram slot in amongst our DNs? In the in the back. In the back. So is that even a move you make, knowing that you have a rookie in Vernon Butler who hasn't gotten on the field a ton? He's there. Would you rather just see him develop rather than give away draft capital to get what? A mediocre name that you can throw into that lineup? Yeah, I don't know what the, the Chiefs were doing there. I don't think it's going to fix their problems entirely. The Rams were considered a Super Bowl contender preseason, and so they're going all in for this season, which I like that. Give me aggressive. But they're going down that road because they've already they've already paved the road. Now they're just continuing to lay down fresh asphalt. Yeah. I don't want to be on that road. I don't want to live. I don't want to be in that zip code. Even if that means you win the Super Bowl this year. And when you look at the because things have proven that it doesn't work that way. I mean, look at this. The Chiefs, remember? The team with the faltering offense that's become painfully inconsistent. They traded away Lawrence. I don't want to butcher this. 
Offensive guard Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, a medical doctor who took 2019 off to go help COVID patients. They traded him away, and I saw Bills fans up in arms about that. Guys, the guy they traded him for, to the Jets, for a tight end named Daniel Brown, seven games this season with the Jets, he has zero statistics. If they think that little of him, why are you all so hurt by this? Or is it just the fact that you guys want something different, right? Like you, you want to feel like you have something. I don't know. You want to be, you want to be at the beach with all the other cool kids. You want to know that your team to, to Chris's point, Chris is like, I'm all in for trades. If it means we make the Super Bowl. Well, what if I told you that when you look at what we have, I mean, the Buffalo Bills have just 15 million in cap space in 2022. And they're going to be returning a number of key contributors, but that number drops when you take out the rookie draft pool. That number comes down to around 10 million, maybe 10, 10, 5. So when you see this now, next year you have 10, 5 to work with. Now, obviously, there's people you can part with. You can make a lot. People are going to be like, oh, well, you could do this and you could cut this guy and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you can cut experienced veterans like Cole Beasley and Star Latule, and you can hemorrhage. You can let Emmanuel Sanders go. You can do all of these things, void their contracts, walk away from them. That doesn't make you a better football team. It just gives you more money in your pocket. There's a plan here. Ever since you saw, and the thing that gave, I kind of tipped it, tipped it hand that there wasn't a big trade coming, was the extension of Teron Johnson just a few weeks ago. They're committing more future dollars to their own developed players than they are to, hey, we need to be able to absorb a future cap hit of another player. Yet nobody's talking about that. That's a dynamic that plays into this. Next year, Tremaine Edmonds is going to be due $12 million for his salary, and the team's going to have to figure out what they want to do with him. Everyone's like, oh, you could, you could trade for an Andrew Norwell, who's going to be due, I think, like, what, $12 million? Plus next year, oh, you could restructure it. You could. It's cool when you don't actually understand cap mechanics. I mean, I'd love to have Paul Wineski from Hashtag Sports come in here and give us all a crash course in this. But the reality is, is that Sean Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have built this team around the concept of cap solvency, and this is going to be a tr- these next two years are a true litmus test of whether or not they're able to field a competitive football team and still have this solvency that they keep talking about. They still want the flexibility to make moves, to, to massage parts of their roster when they want to. You don't you don't get that by continuing to trade away future draft capital. So it's clear, Chris, that the team doesn't think they need to make a trade, even if we fans are all screaming at them about it. Now, do you remember last year we were all saying at the trade deadline the same exact things that were said this week? Same things. Oh, this is a competitive team. We need to make a trade. We need to go all in. And it took us to the brink of the Super Bowl. Given the state of the AFC, Chris, who's to say that we don't get there without making a trade? AFC is pretty up for grabs right now. Exactly. So in that way, why give up future cap solvency and future draft picks? To what? To what? Placate a noisy fan base that's used to being left behind, not being the cool kids at the beach. I'll tell you, I still think the beach sucks. 
And I still think the concept of making an ill-advised trade, like trading away Mitch Trubisky for anything less than either a, a first or second round pick or a key contributor on the offensive line. Yeah. No, you can you can keep all that. I don't need it. And that's why I'm glad nothing happened. That's why I'm glad the Buffalo Bills are staying the course. And we're on top of the division, Chris. I got nothing to lose. I can't wait to see what happens this weekend against Jacksonville. I mean, I can only imagine. <laughs> but we got to get the hell out of here, guys. Thank you for showing up each and every week for this hilarious. I, Chris, I think that this podcast is pretty unique in the sense that nobody else is doing one. Yeah, considering we stole it from Kyle and Gary. Yeah. Well, I don't know about stole it. I'd like to think it's more of a... We well, borrowed it. We borrowed it, and we polished it, and we made it a little bit cleaner. It sounds a little bit better, obviously, because we have the best producer in all of podcasting. Oh, I try to be. At least Bill's podcasting. But with that in mind, next week, the return... Of Kyle. Kyle Smith. Yeah. <laughs> AFC East Pro's Kyle Smith will be joining us next week. Tune in next week as we'll be recapping all the weekend's action, but for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Kruger, and this has been your Week 8 AFC East Roundup. And before we get out of here tonight, I, I want to tell you guys about a company that, they're kind of close to me. I, I've, <laughs> I, I'm a patron. I want you guys to get to know them. If you're like me, you're probably a drinker. You probably party pretty hard for Bills games. If you go to the stadium and you're out there with me, you probably come home when you're pretty tired. And if you have kids, you probably run into days where you don't know, hey, we need dinner on the fly. I'm not sure what to do. Let La Via Italia be the answer for that. They've been around for 50 years. They're a company most people don't even, I don't want to say most people don't know about, but they're a company that's been around for a very long time, based out of Eden, New York, now established in Hamburg. When you think about what pizza costs, right? You think about frozen pizza. You're used to DiGiorno. You're used to things packed full of preservatives. What if you could get buffalo pizza, handmade, flash frozen, and delivered to your doorstep? Whether it's shipped to you or whether it's literally delivered to your doorstep via truck. And what if I told you that it was half the price of a standard large cheese and pepperoni? Right now, you can get a two-pack of large cheese and pepperonis from La Via Italia for $19. I love it because it gives me something that I can throw in the oven and not have to fight with some guy on Grubhub or worry about some sloppy teenager knocking over his way to my house. I don't have to talk to anybody. I can just get fresh, fresh pizza made the way Buffalonians like it delivered directly to my home. LaViaItalia.net. L-A-V-I-A-I-T-A-L-I-A.net. Again, La Via Italia. We're going to link it in the show's description. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. They are the official post-game pizza of the Rock Pile Report.